Hello everybody, my name is Brittany Chalk, and you're listening to A Dancer's Guide. Welcome back to the A Dancer's Guide podcast. You're listening to part two of the casting director's point of view series, and in this episode, we're talking about the live audition process. At the moment, the world finds itself in an unrecognizable state, and the arts have already suffered so much loss. It will be an amazing day when performers can get back into those audition rooms and A Dancer's Guide is here to help you book that job when it's all said and done. Joining me for the ride is casting director Franklin Warfield, who for the past eight plus years has held the position of senior casting director for RWS Entertainment Group in New York City. So if you want to know a little bit more about Franklin and his journey to becoming a casting director, go ahead and check out the previous episode. So diving straight in, Franklin, can you take me through the variables that go into making a casting decision? Brittany, this is quite a question. I know, right out the gate. We're just really going straight in with this. Yeah. Um, Now, I will preface my answer by saying that there is no hard and true universal thing. The process of casting is so unique to every project, every group of people, even every group of Mm -hmm. actors or dancers or performers that show up to the audition that get called in. That's what I love about it is you just sort of never know and the process writes itself as it goes along. But there are some things that I think go into account, not all the time, but some of the time per project that really just are so far beyond talent or anything that someone can come in and perform for us that no one can control. It just is, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Some of these things include height. You can't really change that about yourself. No. The body type that you are at the moment. And, And that goes for any and all body types. There's so many different characters and projects out there you know you never you never know what might be looking for this type of person or that type of person um your look appropriateness a lot of period shows you know if done traditionally set in times when there's like you know a corset and a bustle and a certain thing you know some people give off a more appropriate vibe for an era that's bygone some people might give off a super current vibe, which is awesome. And there's certainly projects for that. There's some people that can span different things, but everyone kind of gives off a, a different vibe that might jive with the project or or it might not. Um, of course, ethnicity goes into, you know, certain projects as a factor. Um, other performance skills, singing, dancing, acting, you know, and, and what's required for what track you're being considered for. Uh, special skills. Certainly, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on what you're looking for might come into play in some regional theaters and summer stocks, having local housing versus them needing to provide you with housing might sort of put you to the top of the list. Your own availability could be a factor. One hundred percent. Who, you know, on the team Mm. is huge. People hire their friends constantly. And there's a reason for that. It takes the element of unknown out of it. If you've already acquired some sort of trust or rapport, then, you know, it's not like, oh, I hope this person's going to be good. It's like, 
no, I know they can deliver and they've delivered for for me on multiple occasions. Mm -hmm, Right. Industry reputation. Mm. What we talk about when the doors close and what you might have done, good or bad, in your past, on a contract to somebody who might have been in the cast with you or they might have been directing you or who knows what connections people have. You know, someone's recommendation, it's like, oh, they were wonderful. My my trusted friend, blah, 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 can't stop raving about what a, you know, good performer and citizen they were. Great. Or, oh, I would maybe steer clear because I've heard of a lot of issues that that person has had with other companies or people. So we might not want to go there. That happens a lot. Mm. The other people who have already been cast are going to be a factor in, you know, and and you have no idea. They could only be looking for one person. Yeah. You know, from the time that an audition notice went out until the audition, it might be almost cast and they're just looking for, we just need that one more track. And who knows if you're it or not being the right size to fit into costumes that already exist. Mm -hmm. This is a huge one, especially on Broadway or for uh, shows that are sort of longer running. And it's not anyone necessarily being cheap or not wanting to create new things. But the fact of the matter is that hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent up front to create these specialized costumes on Broadway, especially that like, we just can't spend another hundred thousand dollars all the time with each new person that needs to be replaced in that. No, definitely. So, not. you know, the, of course the list goes on and on and on, but I think that the things on this list are so far outside of how you did in the room that you will never know or hear about that are just sort of talked about. And it's a mystery as to why this person got cut or got kept or, or got the job and nine times out of 10, it's probably due to something on that list, hmm. quite honestly. Interesting. So many factors and, and not just one thing and that might not even be about your talent. Yeah. And I mean, in a way, it, it sucks that you can't control that. Yeah. But on the flip side of it, it really kind of lets you off the hook because, you know, you can only control what you can control. And if you kind of let go and let God with the rest of that, then your only job is to go in and do the best that you could possibly do in the room and let the casting directors, the creative team, and the producers do their jobs after. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've always preferred live auditions to digital submissions. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, just because, I mean, yes, it can be tiresome, the long audition days, but I just always liked having that face-to-face connection with the casting team, other dancers, having that interaction. And I've specifically loved my auditions with you and RWS. Like I said, I've spoken with other performers about this as well, and I think we can all agree that you've created such a inviting and supportive and encouraging environment during our auditions and which I believe to be such a huge factor in how so many performers can show you the best of themselves. The way that you run auditions was ultimately what made me realize that casting teams are on the performer side. You know, they want to cast you. They want to hire performers. They want you to be the one that they hire. Go tell it on the mountain, Brittany. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, they're not trying to tear you down or make you feel like you're not good enough. 
And, you know, I just have to say a huge thank you to you because I, I get a little emotional about this, but I feel like I owe you, owe a lot of my career to you um, just because you saw something in me or saw what I could achieve. I mean, you, you cast me for the new Amsterdam six months, I think, before the contract even went out. And I met my now husband within days of getting on that ship, you know, so it's like these things have led to where I am now. And whether you knew it or not, you were such a big part of that. And I think organizing this podcast has made me realize all of that. So thank you. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And it's it's kind of the doubly rewarding side of my job is to see all of these people that I just sort of was like, I really see something in them or they caught my eye or I believe in them mm -hmm. or just, wow, I need to have them on <laughs> working for RWS, you know, across yeah. the years. But, you know, beyond that, seeing them go on to other success within their careers or other wonderful things that happen in their personal lives. I get invited to so many weddings of, of people mm -hmm. that are, you know, call me their matchmaker or, you know, things like that. And it's such a wonderful <gasps> byproduct of being able to create these opportunities, not only just professionally or financially, but also, you know, the opportunity to meet other people and, and see what happens. I love it. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Well, with all of that being said, and I think we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, um, but why is it important to you to create an inviting and supportive audition environment? I ultimately, you hit the nail on the head when you said that I'm there to do a job. And that job is to hopefully come away from that audition with files and files and files of amazing people that I feel I can trust to hire at any time. Mm -hmm. I don't ever go into an audition being like, well, we'll see if I come away with one. <sighs> I'm like, I want hundreds. Like if everyone shows up to the audition <laughs> that I hold and they make it to the end, like that would be a dream because that's our job is to fill these mm -hmm. slots with people that we think are the best for them. And it sucks when you know, you hold an audition and for whatever reason, you only come away with three that are going to work. Right. The maximum amount to come away with for the higher list is always my goal. In addition, you know, if I'm holding an audition for another client or presenting people to a creative team that I vetted, that I am sort of showcasing to them, I want them all to be great. I want that creative team to be like, how do we even choose? There's so many wonderful people and, and, you know, whatever, this is, this decision is going to be really hard. You know, that is where you want to be kind of as a casting director yeah. when you're servicing another client or a creative team. Right. Because equally that's kind of your reputation on the line is, is you're putting forward this person and they, you, you know, believe and trust that they will provide what this other company needs and you have that faith in them. So yeah, it is representation of you as well. For sure. Yeah. I also, I hated when I was a performer, I hated walking into a room full of people 
that felt like they were just expecting me to fail. Mm -hmm. And whether that was specifically generated or just sort of inadvertently put out there through a vibe that you either read correctly or not, it just makes you feel like you don't have the freedom to do your best because you're immediately sort of slapped in the face with people who you perceive don't believe in you from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So I never, ever, ever wanted anyone who walks into a room that I have control over to feel anything less than supported or a warm energy that is going to free them up to be able to give us their best. Because again, when people feel like they can do their best and they do show us our best, it makes our job so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, there are so many auditions that I walked into and I just felt like the casting team couldn't even give me the time of day. Like they were just so over it or maybe it was a long day and I was the last group or something. And that really puts you off right from the beginning. Like as much as we're trying to impress you guys, I don't know, there's got to be a a little bit of give and take there. You know, we are human too and you are human and it's it's that relationship. It's not just we're trying to give everything to you. It's, you know, you got to work with us a little bit. Is that fair to say? That is 100% fair to say. And I I think, especially as a casting director that is connected to an overall company that would, Mm. you know, become the hiring company, as opposed to a contracted out office that's going to cast for an outside producers or whatever. But for RWS, it's like, I need to give you a preview of what it's going to be like to work for RWS. You know, I'm not an idiot. I know that there are so many other options of cruise lines, of theme parks, of any number of entertainment jobs that, you know, are at people's fingertips. So just as much as you said, you come in to impress us. We also, I have my brain thinking about How can I be efficient? How can I keep the energy up? How can I make people feel like they are taken care of, like they are supported through this? Because I want to continue that narrative. Then if you do get the job, if you are hired, I want you to come to RWS and feel the exact same way from different employees and and other people on the team. But I want that to be a through line of the overall RWS experience. And we are we're the gatekeepers into that world. Mm -hmm. So I have to advertise us as such for sure. Yeah, that's an amazing point of view. You're kind of that first impression for everyone of of what working for that company is going to be like. That's amazing. Well, I think, like I said, I can speak for a lot of performers and we appreciate the audition space you create. I love hearing that. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, the audition starts the moment you walk in the door? Uh, I want to get it printed on t-shirts and give them out. (laughs) (laughs) Franklin's branding. (laughs) So obviously, in your opinion, you believe that statement to be true. Do you take what people do, how they act outside of the audition room into consideration when making your casting decisions? 1000%. If I Hmm. could hire a skywriter to write this in the sky above New York City, just to make sure that everyone knows that this is 100% the God's honest truth, then I would absolutely do that. Here's the thing. We tend to think of the audition as only what happens inside the room when we're performing. Mm -hmm. Could not be less 
true. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice if that is really the only thing that you're concerned about, because an audition is essentially a job interview. In any other career, would you walk into an office building, disrespect the receptionist who greets you upon walking in that office, cause an absolute fuss in the lobby while waiting for your job interview, and treat every other employee, whether they are, you know, from the highest CEO down to anybody else who are like boots on the ground, if you treat them like crap, and then you walk into the job interview, and then suddenly you become another person, and then walk out of that. If you think that that receptionist or anybody else that has come into contact with you prior to or after your time in that actual job interview isn't going to go back and give feedback to whoever's hiring, (laughs) you are really, really mistaken. And it's the same. It's the same thing. The holding room, the monitor, the accompanist, Mm -hmm. anyone who is there to facilitate that audition is someone who you need to treat with the utmost respect. Absolutely. And I always, every single audition, whoever is monitoring for me, I ask them point blank, has everyone been nice to you? Mm. And many times they say, oh yeah, everyone's been really great. It's such a great room. Hallelujah. Love to hear that. However, there have been some instances where they're like, well, actually, this person is really rude or they gave me a a really strange vibe or I see them treating other people really poorly in the audition room Mm -hmm. or in the holding room. And and so, yeah, I don't know. They're kind of seem like not a good person. And I'm like, cool, cut. Yeah, I don't care how good you are. Absolutely not. If you're treating any one of my staff or anybody else who comes to the audition with any less than the typical amount of respect that you would have for another human being, goodbye. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I say at the end of all of my podcasts, stay confident, be humble. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be over cocky, but equally, you know have a bit of humility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard horror stories of performers being in like elevators up to Pearl Studios or something and like the casting director is in there and they have no idea and they're like bad mouthing it or hated the audition or thought they made the wrong decision and didn't realize that they were there. And yeah, of course you're not going to get the job. And it's people don't even like think, oh, it, it frustrates me. <laughs> no, you shut your mouth until you are home. And then you uh-huh. know what? Tell your mom. Yeah, there you go. Call your mom. Well, yeah, to dive a little deeper into that, when you're in the audition room, how intensely do you watch people while they're learning the dance combination? Or is it more important for you when they're performing kind of in smaller groups at the end? I am a big watcher of the learning process. Mm. And not that I'm looking to make any sort of final decision on one person during this process, because, you know, I know that everyone's learning curve is different. And if a room is packed, you can't really, you know, perform things full out all the time until you get down to actually doing it in small groups. But I don't know, I'm really fascinated with the way that people learn, Mm -hmm. not just dancing wise, but just as people, 
and to see if they're engaged, to see if they are listening, to see if they're taking into account others around them, or if they're just plowing through other people as, you know, selfish space taker uppers Mm -hmm. um, without any regard for those around them. Um, You know, who's sort of talking to their friends instead of listening to a note, who asks questions, how they ask the question. You know, there are so many cues, both verbal and nonverbal, that can be gathered about people's personalities or work ethics on so many levels just by observing them learn a combo. And all of this is outside of dancing. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like as a as a dancer and choreographer myself, like I've always found it quite easy to pick out people with excellent technique just because ultimately I know what should, things should look like, you know, how your arm should be and lines and whatnot. Have you had moments in your casting career where you've only had to watch a performer for a few seconds to know that they were incredible and you had to book them? Oh, 1000%. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Where, you know, those moments when you're watching The Voice mm-hmm. and just the first note comes out of someone's mouth and it's like, yep, boo, boo, boo. People just are hitting their buzzers right away. Yep. Because just right out the gate, you are 100% confident that that person is nailing every inch of it. I love that feeling yeah. in auditions. And I will say this. You know, technique is so important. It really is. And I think it serves as kind of a universal bar that we could use to judge people's prowess on certain elements with. But the buck does not stop there Mm. at all. And if your goal in an audition is just to sort of come in and show us what great technique you have, then you're really missing an opportunity, many opportunities there. Because my, like you know, four chair turn on your first count of eight might not even be technique. It might just be that you're so captivating and invested and, you know, giving off that sort of X factor, that star quality that is so unique to you that that might be like, okay, I don't really care how they dance the rest of this combo. Like, I just want to see more of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there are just so many things that go beyond technique, that go beyond correctness of regurgitating combo. Yes, dancers try to be so perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yes, they do. And I get it. I get it. We, you know, as dancers are put in studios for hours upon hours and, you know, get all of this sort of beat into us about placement and pictures and lines and extension and head tilt and Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of these things that, is sometimes it's it's hard to get out of just sort of focusing on that. Yeah, definitely. How do you feel about freestyling in an audition room? I'm sure you've seen some crazy freestyling. What do you want to see in a freestyle or maybe not want to see? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, improv and freestyle, I know it sucks. It does. And I am not going to sit here and say that it doesn't because I hated it when I was auditioning and certain choreographers and certain people use it to varying degrees, whether 
as we do, I try to limit it to just like, you know, maybe two counts of eight max, maybe in the beginning intro of Mm -hmm. a combo before the given choreography will start. But some other people use it as I suspect because they didn't do the work themselves. And so they're putting it on the talent. Regardless, I am looking for freestyle or improv that is in the vein of the given choreography. Something that's not so far out of the box stylistically or feel or something that doesn't match the music, something like that, where it's like part A and part B and they're completely apples and oranges. So I also don't think everyone, you know, I need to do an aerial. I need to do my biggest trick at this point. Sometimes just sort of the smallest thing could be more effective than trying to do a million leaps and turns and acro and everything. However, I will say the biggest thing that I think the smartest people do is find a path out of the improv and into the given choreography that is seamless Mm. because I have seen so many improv sections, like at the beginning of a combo that I'm like, wow. And then it's like, what happened to them? Where did they go? (laughs) That suddenly they just didn't find that path, that transition into the given choreography and it screwed them up for the entire rest of the combo and they never recovered. It sucks. So, I know that everyone is so concerned about what am I doing? What am I doing? But I think your second biggest concern is how do I seamlessly get back into the actual choreography? Right, right. I mean, I remember my, I think my second audition with you guys. It was, it was so funny. I mean, I'm embarrassed about it, but I got called back to the second day and then we did the ballet combo from the day before and like my coffee might not have kicked in or something and I just like completely like lost it, couldn't remember the choreography. And I was like, pull it together. What is wrong with you? Do not throw away this opportunity. And we got into the jazz section and you let us do a bit of improv beforehand. And I feel like I was with two or three other girls and they were all just, you know, legs and turning and all sorts of stuff. And I just stood there and went into my nice tilt for like two eight counts. And then I went right into the combination. And a week later you called me and offered me the job. So it's stuff like that where it's, you know, almost a little less is more sort of thing. You know, I've seen the craziest freestyles. I mean, people have like gone up to the casting table and like been all over you. It's, it's a lot. Absolutely not. (laughs) I hate it. Do not approach us ever. (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. Let's get that out there. Do not go to the table. Yeah. It's disconcerting for us. Like, please catch our eye in another way. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. And don't be dangerous. Oh, God, it is. Yes. The minute we're fearful for you or those around you is the minute that, like, that trust is gone. Mm, Right. That's a good point. Well, moving on from that. I was stressful talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) What do I know this is a really broad question, but what are some things that you look for in a performer when they're doing that final audition? For me, it's a bit of a threefold kind of thing. And this is specific mm-hmm. for RWS. This is, you know, not going to be universal across the board. Of course. But in a lot of what we do for our clients and in different venues is we're looking to make some sort of an impression on our audiences, which we like to call the emotional takeaway. 
So first and foremost, I think that whoever works for us needs to be engaged. They need Mm -hmm. to be a pleasure to watch and they need to make us feel something, whether they're telling a story or just, I don't know, living their best lives, (laughs) really. Like never underestimate the power of dancing with authentic joy. Moving through space can feel so, so good. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone goes into dance because they love to dance. Otherwise, why, why would you choose (laughs) this career path? I think you just on some level really need to love dancing and it's okay to let that show because at the end of the day, you know, I always refer to George and Ethel as our, you know, audience members. They're sitting there. They probably have no idea what good technique is. They might appreciate you aesthetically and and visually, but at the end of the day, they don't know what that is, but they do know how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the emotional takeaway. I love it. That we're looking to give. Then of course, sort of on, you know, the, creative team side of things and choreographically for especially step one dance company. And quite frankly, a lot of our production shows, you have to have such a solid technique and versatility of style. I mean, the shows would die if our dancers do not have those qualities in their tool belt. Um, And I'm talking ballet, jazz, musical theater, ballroom, hip hop, you name it, you'll probably do it within one contract. So it is of vital importance. Absolutely. It's not just, you can't just have one skill anymore. Mm -mm. You have to be able to do so many different things. Yeah. World is different (laughs) than it used to be. Sure is. That's why I was like, and see you performing life and hello, casting director. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think also, you know, we need to identify that you have the energy and the stamina Mm -hmm. in order to sustain these long running contracts with multiple shows per day, multiple shows per week that sort of go beyond the eight show a week standard. You know, we need to also have that trust that you're going to be able to sustain this type of contract that we do. And then thirdly, something that I've touched on previously is just making sure that you're someone we want to work with, that you're going to be a good citizen of the project, that you're going to be a good employee, a respectful and open cast member, and someone that we want to spend eight hours a day in a studio with. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you've got to show a variety of abilities within this short audition. And I think that's where going to a lot of auditions, going to professional classes, you know, attending audition workshops can really help a performer to kind of hone in on their unique talents and then show them off in the best possible light during a real audition. Yeah, so much to think about in, in a tiny little audition there. Agreed. Hey listeners, this episode is jam-packed with information and we still have so much more for you after this short break. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at a dancer's guide official, and share this wealth of information with all of your friends. So go check it out. We truly appreciate your support. Now, back to where we left off. How can a choice of outfit affect a performer's audition? I like addressing this question, actually, because I think that sometimes any performer 
dancer, singer, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. dwells so hard on what to wear to an audition, which you should. I mean, it's not a choice to be made lightly, I don't think. But I think where the misstep is, is thinking that like that is going to be a huge thing right. in like make or breaking you getting hired mm-hmm. or not, you know, and, and certainly it can be if you're coming in sort of looking like a wreck yeah. and we're, you know, it makes us go, what kind of person is this? You just want to make sure that whatever you choose to wear is flattering for your body. Mm-hmm. And I know when you look around, especially at a ladies open call and I see the kind of audition uniform, like everyone is kind of wearing different variations of the same exact thing, Yep. which is fine. However, sometimes it doesn't quite work on certain people, even though they feel like that's what they should be wearing. It's like you're not presenting yourself and framing yourself in the best light by just simply trying to copy what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. So I would say get some options, figure out what silhouette or what cut of certain things look the best for the way that your body is structured and wear them in front of your most honest and blunt friends, not the ones that are going to say, you're so beautiful. You know what I mean? Like we love those friends who, you know, think we look great no matter what, but, you know, get a trusted opinion and make sure that whatever you're wearing is enhancing you. Mm. Also, what I would say is choose something that is going to make you feel empowered because you feeling insecure about any part of yourself in that way, going into an audition is going to do you no favors whatsoever. And I do have to say class is class. Auditions are auditions. It is not the same outfit. It is not the same look that work for both. Mm -mm. You do have to sort of have a little bit of a heightened look for an audition as opposed to class. Right. So a little bit of hair and makeup goes a long way for ladies and giving the, the overall general sense, especially for gentlemen, like this isn't just sort of our lounge wear or whatever outfit that I wear to the gym. Like it is an actual put together tailored ensemble. Yeah. You've given it thought and you want to wear this and you feel good in it. You feel comfortable. Yes. And I think that is the most important thing because how you feel about yourself is going to filter into every aspect of what Mm -hmm. you do. So you have got to feel confident in whatever you have on absolutely, or, you know, however you're presenting yourself. And sometimes, you know, if you come looking like you would be dressed for class, it gives the impression to people behind the table, like you didn't really care about this job, whether that's intended or not. Yeah. And this all wraps up into your professionalism, how you present yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a job interview. So yeah, best put forward. Yeah. I mean, I've (laughs) definitely seen my fair share of outfit malfunctions whilst in auditions, you know, your chest pops out of your shirt or your booties coming out of your skirt. Um, It definitely happens. And those are kind of things you want to be aware of. And maybe 
even just trying out your audition outfits in a class to make sure your butt doesn't come out is is a good tip here. <laughs> yeah, I think a dry run is important. Yeah, especially if you're like trying to switch it up. Yes, 100%. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you might feel differently about yourself in a studio mirror mm-hmm. watching yourself dance than you might have thought just standing, you know, in your apartment or your house. Right. So what are your top tips for standing out in an audition? Yeah. In a good way. (laughs) Um, Make a choice. Mm. Have a point of view or have something behind the eyes when you're performing. You know, we're paying people to tell a story, to portray a character, to convey emotion, not just have perfect, pristine technique. You know, so... If you're boring us to tears, look angry, <laughs> gentlemen. I have a lot of angry <laughs> gents that have, you know, <laughs> danced for us with very stern faces. You know, breathing, being present in the moment goes a long, long way for sure. Yeah. And remember, we are trying to get a sense of how you're going to be on stage. So if you're only, again, thinking of like, correct, what comes next? What comes next? Which, of course, is a huge amount of brain space that needs to be fired when you're dancing in an audition, no doubt. But, you know, choreographing in for yourself where to breathe really reminds your body that you're a human being Mm -hmm. and it makes you be present. I think go for it dance for your life dance like you love what you're doing and like you want the job Mm -hmm. I see so many good dancers I mean there's so many especially ladies out there pursuing this career and the competition is crazy but yet I see so many people that don't look like they're fighting for the job that are just sort of safe and tentative Mm -hmm. with their performance And I'm not saying that you want to be like a loose cannon who's like dangerous to everyone else, but we want to get the sense that like you want it. Absolutely. We want to feel the passion, feel the, the drive and that, that fire to book. Yeah. And I see a lot of people just really lacking in that quality. Hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah, that is unfortunate. I feel like when I started to realize that I was just going to any and every audition I saw, that I was just exhausted and I wasn't doing very well at these auditions. And when I started to just pick out the ones that I actually wanted to go to and actually wanted to book, I had so much more energy and and passion about the projects. And and then I ended up actually doing much better because I wanted it a bit more versus, oh, I'm just here today. I'm just at parole again Um, or something like that. Well, and I I truly think that the fight to be seen, like before you even ever step foot in the actual audition room, what you have to go through to just get on a list and get in that Mm -hmm. room is so much that you feel like your fight was all taken up in that process that you forget that the real work begins when you step foot in the studio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. Now, going back kind of into the audition room, does it distract you when dancers try to mark the combo on the side uh, while the others are trying to perform? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Full stop. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And I, I think, too, not only is it distracting for us who are really trying to focus in on the people that we're trying to focus on, 
but you're also being a little bit disrespectful to the people that are yes. trying to book the job at that moment because mm-hmm. soon it's going to be you out there. And you don't want somebody pulling focus from you trying to book. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with sort of like kind of marking it with your hands or, or something like that. But yeah, no, some people just are over there like turning and bot mine. And I'm just like, it is not about you right now. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's hard because I get that you know, a dancer's kind of muscle memory is is in our arsenal. And when we're being told, okay, go over to the side and still remember this combination after five groups have gone, it is difficult. And I get that. But equally, yeah, you're right. There is that sense of respect and supporting your fellow dancers. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're supposed to book that job, you're going to book the job. And if you're not, then you might as well just like encourage someone else that is more right for it than you are. So do you like to see when performers are supportive on the side, clapping and cheering for when it's over? Does that have an effect? I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's just, it goes into more of the person that they are. And I think overall, it also bolsters that support Mm -hmm. for people to do their best when you feel like the entire room is really on your side. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's really a beautiful thing. And I think too, when you're just like only focusing on yourself and, and dancing full out on the side you miss out on an opportunity to make observations about things that other people do before you, both positively and negatively, that you can apply to your own performance. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I mean, I don't want to say steal, but if someone does something that catches your eye, didn't you think it caught the casting director's eye? So do something similar. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Well, what is your view about performers coming up to you after an audition, maybe saying thank you or striking up a conversation with you? You know, do you find that annoying or do you like building those relationships with performers? I don't know if I'm alone or have a lot of company in in this sort of aspect, but if I am interested in you as a potential employee or performer for us, I'll try to go out of my way to strike up some sort of personal interaction mm. with each person just to kind of get an individual sense of of how they are as a person. However, if it's an open call, there are 200 people that have shown up and we have to get through all of them rather quickly. And I think you should assume that we just don't have the time in that arena to sit down and chat about everything. That being said, I love a thank you or, you know, had a great time, nice to see you, whatever, some sort of cordial but brief exchange. It's totally fine in my book. And I think this is probably something that varies from person to person, Mm -hmm. certainly. But I think you do have to sort of be conscientious of the fact that, you know, we only have so much time to get through our process. And like, it's not about you at that point having a conversation. Right, right. Well, what are some things that dancers should not do at an audition? Go. (laughs) Spill the beans. (sighs) Stare at yourself in the mirror the whole time while dancing. One of my biggest pet peeves. Mm -hmm. I just think it comes across as so self-absorbed and a little bit selfish. Yeah. Um, by not sharing your performance with the rest of us. And and a lot of times it makes you look really zoned out and kind of crazy. (laughs) And uh, I've seen a lot of people compromise 
angles and choreography and pictures by trying to steal a glimpse of themselves in the mirror. So like, don't morph what's given just to sneak a peek Mm -hmm. of yourself. Absolutely not. Um, Do not ask questions just to get attention or to call someone else out. Hate it. Yep. I know exactly what you're doing. Everyone does. No one likes that person. Do not look distracted or disinterested. Now, we might be exhausted. This might be like our fifth audition of the day. We might be like, when is this ending? Because I have to get to work by like 5 p.m. You know, Mm -hmm. I truly, I understand that. And, you know, try to put on that poker face. Because you might as well just leave the room and go to work if you are, you know, that worried about it where it's going to taint the entire aura that you're giving out. Right. Don't underdance or mark when it's go time. Again, I just see this epidemic of safe, tentative, scared to like really go for it dancing. And it is, it needs to change, honestly. Don't dance out of the given formation. Now, naturally, you know, we didn't have a spacing rehearsal, of course. But I think smart dancers will, when they sense that they are out in left field or they've, they're supposed to be upstage, but they're downstage or things like that, smart dancers will self-correct. Now, this is the one instance where I feel as if extraditing yourself from a dangerous situation and sacrificing the choreography for a couple seconds is a good play because we can tell that that's why you did that. And we might like you more and be like, oh, yes, smart, 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 smart. Mm -hmm. They are aware of their surroundings. I trust that you could dance in an ensemble of people. Do you know what I'm saying? Definitely spatial awareness. Also, I feel like I need to say this sort of in a general sense, but Lately, when I've been doing master classes or working with other performers, I hear things along the lines of, oh, I didn't think I was allowed to do that. Hmm. And I usually say to them, oh, okay, um, where did you hear that you couldn't do that? And I feel like nine times out of 10, it's like no one told them that they couldn't, but they just thought that they couldn't. So that leads me to believe, or I get the sense that maybe there are these like perceived set of rules, for lack of a better term, that people are kind of abiding by or imposing on themselves that maybe just don't exist at all. I mean, of course, follow directions, whatever is written in a notice or breakdown, like, yes, you should be doing that, whatever is verbally Mm. communicated to you. And audition, yes, you should be doing that. But other than that, I just feel like the rules that people make up, A, don't exist, but only kind of serve to limit them right. and stifle them as an artist and as a performer. So I urge, you know, whatever you think is something you shouldn't be doing or that's not allowed or whatever, I would really ask yourself, where did that come from? Who told yeah. me? Did anyone tell me that? Am I just making this up in my head? Because I think freeing yourself a little bit from those, I can't do this, I'm not allowed, this would, you know, 
I don't know, would, would maybe open you up to taking a bit more of a risk or being more of that like positive standout of really going for things or even advo- advocating for yourself. Yeah. So don't not take notes <laughs> that are given. I think if certainly you are given a direct note or correction, you had better do everything in your power to apply that and perform that when it's go time. Because if someone singled you out, they're going to be looking for your aptitude and capacity to be able to take on that note and correct it. And also don't miss other questions or other things that are communicated by the choreographer or by somebody because you were kind of socializing or in your own world. So I say, you know, start with keeping your eyes and ears open to take in all of those directives and then kind of apply it to yourself physically. Right, exactly. I mean, one of the most embarrassing things is to ask the question again oh. or the, something that's already been asked. The embarrassment that I feel for other people when that happens is unimaginable. It's the worst thing. And equally talking about taking a note, um, casting directors give you the note, not because you're doing something bad, because you've caught their eye and they want to see what you can do with it. So don't take it as a bad thing. If if you're singled out, it's because someone had interest in you. Mm-hmm. No one's going to waste their time giving that much attention to somebody that they don't feel is worth the investment. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Never take that as, as a bad thing. Or it, you know, if you are corrected that like, Oh no, I'm not doing well. No, it's probably because they're interested. Yeah, exactly. And they want you to succeed even further. Yeah. So are you pretty decisive when it comes to making casting decisions or do you take a quite a considerable amount of time to find perfect people um, and equally, does a casting team help or hinder the casting process? I like to think that I'm I'm pretty decisive. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if I'm coming away from an audition with someone I like, but I'm unsure if they're going to ultimately be successful, I will probably hold on making that offer to see if I can find the person that I ultimately trust to do the role. And, you know, with a lot of this ongoing casting that we do, we kind of do have a little bit of the luxury of of doing that. Like, oh, I have an, another audition coming up in two weeks in this city. I might find someone a little bit better suited there. If not by this date, then the offer will go to. Right, right. You have that rolling list. Exactly. Yeah. And having a casting team is the best thing in the world. <laughs> I adore my entire team and... You know, when I started at RWS, I was the only casting director. Mm -hmm. And then little by little, it kind of snowballed. And I'm here to tell you that one person can only do so much. They can only catch so much, see so much, and then you only get one perspective on things. And I think that you're so much better once, you know, you have more eyes, you have more help, you have other perspectives on everything. And... 
regardless of casting, life is just better with other people along the ride with you. Yeah, definitely. Love that answer. Yeah, I just didn't know maybe it was a hindrance because too many cooks. But yeah, it was interesting to see your point of view on that. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like you hire more alumni or do you consciously try to involve new talent or, you know, trying to get that balance, I'm sure is difficult. Yeah, it. I mean, it is a balance. And RWS is big on, you know, if you are somebody who has done a great job for us, everyone felt like you were a good employee, you delivered on stage, you were a wonderful person, then we will probably use you until you tell us that you want to stop. Right, right. <laughs> it's just because we're creating so many productions for clients. It's such an assurance to have people that you know are going to deliver. Mm -hmm. And that's on stage and off. That being said, I do need to balance it out with new people because eventually those veterans are going to move on or, you know, have this life change or whatever it is. And we need to be training the next batch of people that hopefully, you know, become those veterans for us. And, And I think too, it's nice to have both perspectives in a cast, like people who have sort of like smoked a cigarette over in the corner being like, yeah, I've done this for a while. And those who are like, this is so exciting. I can't believe I'm mm-hmm. here because I think that kind of energy really, once you put it all together, kind of balances itself out. Yeah. Yeah. That is funny, especially with a younger dancer that's, you know, on their first contract, first or second contract. Yeah. Their eyes are just lit up every time they do something. And you're right. The, the vets are kind of just like, yeah, what? just another thing on the resume that's funny (laughs) well talk me through what a hire list is and what that can mean for performers uh so in our casting office we like to use the term hoarding talent (laughs) because unlike a i don't know a summer stock or something like that where you go to the audition you know that rehearsals begin on this date the show opens on this, this date and closes on that one like You either get it or you don't. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. We have a higher list because our volume is just so great of turnover and of need of performers. So basically, our auditions are almost more of a vetting process, more than a direct audition for like this contract on the new Amsterdam that starts here. So in essence... You could come in to audition for us and it's okay if you're not available for another six months. We will take that into account. And, you know, if you are identified as somebody who's going to be a fit for whatever project or, or whatever, we'll go, okay, great. You're a fit for this. You're not available in six months. Here's your offer for, you know, whenever you are available. Yeah. So what I mean by hoarding talent is we just take all of these people that we go, okay, they can do this. We like them. And we take them back and put them all in their respective files. And that is what we use to form our casts out of. Yeah. Amazing. How important is it for performers to show their personality during an audition? Um, While performing? Yes. Wildly important, especially for our neck of the woods. Now, for concert dance or something like that, I mean, I am certainly not qualified to speak on what they are looking for, but I suspect that that is not quite as much of a focus. But as I mentioned before, for our types of projects, and I think for things like musical theater, um, the commercial world, um, Radio City, 
kind of things of of that nature. Mm-hmm. It really is trying to entertain people yeah. and we need to see that capacity. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. What would you say to someone that is interested in a career in casting? Um, and how would one go about achieving that goal? Oh, man, like I kind of touched on in part one of this whole thing, there is just no tried and true, like, this is what you do to get into casting. It is <laughs> such a crazy, crazy thing. However, what I will say is, I think maybe listing qualities or or things that that I do on a daily basis that go beyond just sort of hosting and running auditions might be a little bit helpful for people because I think when you're a performer, you only get to see that performer facing side of everything. And people go, Oh, how fun. You just get to go to auditions and see talented people. Like, yes, but that is the absolute tip of the iceberg Mm. of what I'm doing on a daily basis. So, you know, a lot of, the skills needed, I think, to be successful in casting is being able to quickly categorize, organize, and recall talent, both at the audition and then also before and after at any point (laughs) in your life. You just have to have the mental capacity to be able to be that Rolodex, to be that, like, you know, contacts list of people to come up with ideas or to remember people at the drop of a hat. And the majority of my job is actually not in the studio. It's mostly just clerical and admin and other correspondence, quite honestly. And (laughs) I think that people don't realize how much preparation goes into creating and organizing an audition before you even set foot in the room and then how much work has to be done to organize and file everyone away after the audition. We have no clue. It's a lot. I'm here to tell you. (laughs) I'm I'm sure. Yeah. I think clear communication skills are crucial and that both written and verbal and knowing how to confidently and clearly speak to a group of people to get them to do exactly what you need them to do on the first try. It takes a, a certain skill. You, you know, have to constantly have your eye on the time at an audition. Like my focus is always so split between, you know, greeting somebody, quickly answering a text of, you know, some emergency question that somebody gave me while going, oh, we still have 50 more people to see and we have a half an hour. How are we going to do this? You know, it's just so, so much of a juggling act to be able to make all of everything run smoothly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just managing people's expectations. And that means talent, people who come to audition, but then also the other people in the room and the other staff that you have there supporting you. And especially if you're holding auditions for a creative team or for a client or something like that, I mean, even 10 times more, you have to make it just seem like everything is happening and it's lovely and there are no dead spots and no hiccups and, you know, all this thing. And you really are sort of like the producer, the on-site producer of the entire experience of the audition for so many different people. Um, Yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts in that aspect. But anyway, those are just some things that I think maybe people don't realize. And I always say that, you know, the best audition is one in which you don't even realize it's happening in which you just think, 
you don't see the moving parts. Right. You know, that is that is the most successful audition, I think. Yeah, no, that's fantastic to kind of get that sneak peek behind what we see. Yeah, is you're right. You get to go and travel and do these auditions, but there is more to it than that. Yeah, and I think, you know, for people who are thinking that they might be interested in going to casting, you know, I, I would just suggest maybe doing as much research as possible about different companies and shows and offices and what types of projects that they do and what type of talent they look for. Um, and this could be theatrical, it could be dance, it could be film, TV, commercial, things like that, you know. And I think a lot of people sort of decide that if they want to get their feet wet, they need some sort of experience. So they go to interning. I think that that is sort of the most tried and true way that people sort of work their way up is, you know, unpaid internship at yeah. whatever office. And then in hopes of being taught all of this crazy world um, and the best practices of what to do to then maybe work their way up within that company or at least have the credentials on the resume to be able to go out and, you know, interview a little bit better and look a little bit better on paper. But, you know, always practicing recalling names of people that you meet. I don't know, staying on top of all of your personal correspondence, your emails and, and everything being a quick and confident decision maker is also a trait that I think you definitely need and something that some people are not. And so you have to sort of trust yourself that you're making a, a right decision. But mm -hmm. I will say, most of all, you have to love performers to do this job. You have to. You have to respect them and you have to love them yeah. and want the best for them. Oh, that's so great. Love that. Love that. We've covered so much in this episode, in these two episodes, actually. Would you mind just sharing some of your details so listeners can check out all the things that you do? Sure. I, I think the best resource is going to be experiencerws.com. And that is RWS's website. If you click on the auditions tab that is in the upper right hand corner, that will take you to a page of just a wealth of information from when we are holding auditions, how to submit online, um, testimonials from past cast members, videos about what it's like to be a cast member in our various projects. So uh, we just revamped it. It's really, really awesome. I'm very happy with it. You can even see some video content of yours truly, and then a lot of the other casting team on there talking about various projects and things. And I think it's really, really fun. Uh, on a personal level, my social media is sort of open to the public. I, I don't really restrict it because I don't think there's anything on there that I'm ashamed of. Um, but on Facebook, I am, you can search for me just as Franklin Warfield, my whole name. And then on Instagram, I'm at Franklin Warfield just all one word. Very good. Well, Franklin, I have to tell you, I was so excited when you agreed to be a guest on the Dancer's Guide podcast. And it's just been so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you for sharing all of your expert advice. Of course, I was equally excited. And again, I'm so happy that you asked me because I care so deeply about this. And, and a lot of it's such a mystery. And I appreciate you even creating this platform for dancers to learn about so many facets of the industry. So thank you for all that you do. Stay tuned for more Dancer's Guide episodes. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Casting Director's Point of View series. Always remember, stay confident, 
be humble.